Welcome to Destination Indie, your place for some of the best information and curated news and opinions on all the indies that you can find over on Game Pass. If you're listening to this for the first time, welcome. You are the inaugural listening crew to Destination Indie. And you may be wondering, what is this show about? Well, it is myself and my good friend Kylia talking about some of the indies that we think you should take a look on over on Game Pass. These are going to be games that are strictly available on Game Pass. We want to make sure that you're building value with your subscription. So maybe you don't have Game Pass. Maybe you do. But if you do and you haven't tried out these games, we would urge you take a moment, download it, try it out, pick it up, put it down. Let us know what you think. But before we get into what we're saying uh, about the games that we're going to be talking about this week, I just want to thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. Perfect. Well, first, first off, before we before we even get an opportunity to really talk video games, um, I guess my my first question is kind of I, I would like to get a little bit better understanding of why why indie games from your perspective. I know we've talked about it in the past, but I, I, I guess I, I'm still kind of wondering, like what about indie games is is such a big draw to you because I, I i enjoy indie games from time to time um depends on what the game is obviously some of the ones that kind of come up to the to the the cream of the crop as far as uh like social media goes really kind of interest me and i'll pick them up and i'll put them down and go back to other games but you really like indie games that's not even that's not just like something that someone says but you you generally really love diving into indies and i'm and i'm curious what is that driving force what pushes you to try these these unknowns well i've always liked things that were less common and off the beaten path because i feel like that's how you find the unique and interesting things if people are pushing you like just tons of people are pushing you go try this thing or go see this movie or whatever i'll i'll watch it or i'll play it eventually but you know, maybe that independent movie that just released in the theaters that's got like one time slot in the entire day. I want to go see that. Some some small group of people poured their heart and soul into making that movie, just like indie games, right? Some small group of people poured their heart and soul into making this game for five or ten years, and now they've released it, and nobody knows it exists. And mm-hmm. indie games present such a, a unique capability to try different mechanics or game types or crossovers or different graphics, play styles. You know, things that aren't generally accepted in a largely produced or AAA game. And yeah. so you can find really unique and different experiences. Um, I, I, I always have run the joke that if you made it with your buddy in a basement, I'm, I'm interested. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, there's, there's just, I mean, you find the coolest games like uh, The Return of Oberdin. Uh, yeah. One dude made that entire game out of black and white pixels. And it's like a 3D game and it's a murder mystery and it's got all these really interesting things happening with it one guy you know yeah. and and so many people have never even heard of this amazing game uh, and i just i find that that i'm really drawn to those because i want to see what they've poured their time into what they've created and then i want to tell everyone else i want to be that person that's saying check this game out i know you've never ever heard of it it's really funny because people ask me oh you're you're a gamer what do you play i'm like i promise you've never heard of it it doesn't start with call and it doesn't end with duty so don't worry about it (laughs) yeah exactly 
So I'm, I'm, I guess what's what's the payoff then as far as like the gate because you you talk about like wanting to to jump into multiple multiple games that you don't know. I mean, there's got to be a, a a pro and con to this. There's got to be a payoff. You know, you not everything's going to be gold. So have you ever thought about like a percentage wise as far as like how many games have you? played that have been absolutely awesome versus games that you're like nope this is this is a, a work in progress or this is a good first attempt or second attempt at making a game but it just doesn't have that magic like is there like of of the number of games that you've probably tried over the years like what's the what's the the general percentage for what's been good versus bad i would say overall there's maybe 10% that really stand out and stick with me. After I walk away, I move on, I play 15 more games, and I think back, I loved that game. I would play that again. And I, I never play games again, just to be clear. Once I go from beginning to end, get all the achievements or as much as I'm willing to get, and I've seen all the story and everything that that game has to offer, I move to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. Because I, I, think, I think nostalgia plays a lot with our industry. So I think a lot of people, any at least anyone that's like a Nintendo fan, tends to to catch themselves uh, buying copies of games from the '80s that they already own on four other versions uh, of systems. So I, I I'm surprised that you're able to just kind of grab one, you know, chew through it, and then and then put it down and, and never have to worry about it again. I mean, I won't lie; I'm guilty of doing the same thing. I probably own like three different versions of the Mario All-Stars and six different copies of one of my favorite games of all time, Super Mario Brothers 2. You know, mm-hmm. I, but, but how often do I go back to them? If I were to levy, hmm, I'd really like to play Super Mario Brothers 3 with some friends or I'd like to try this new indie game. I'm more likely to go towards the indie game because it's a new experience and it's going to be something different. Every, gotcha. I mean, there's indie games that are all like, these are all platformers or these are all Metroidvanias or these are turn-based or these are deck building. But within each section, they all have something that makes them unique and differentiates them from the other games. They, there's no carbon copy. No, You're not going to line up two indie games up and be like, they're exactly the same because they're not. Right. So I guess in that case, I'm I'm curious, you piqued my interest. What's a comfort food game that you will go to uh, when you aren't doing indies? Because I know, you know, if if just based on my me knowing you, I know Destiny and Sea of Thieves are, are kind of the go to. Uh, do you have like single player games that are like that, that are that are your comfort food and and would kind of outweigh a new experience for the sake of familiarity? Um, you're right. Sea of Thieves and Destiny, I am quite a fan of. It's it's nice for those games because you don't have to dedicate all your time to them. You can you can take them in bite-sized bits here and there, and every time you go back, there's something different or new, and and you don't feel like you're playing the same game over and over and over or returning to the same game. But in terms of something outside of those, I love RPGs, um, mm. specifically turn-based RPGs. Um, or RPGs that have hand-drawn animation fall into my favorites. But Final Fantasy VII in its 19 iterations is my favorite game of all time, and I know that's very cliche, but um, it's what got me into video games many, 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 many years ago, like really into. You know, I played Nintendo, and I played Sega, and I played PlayStation, but really 
what drew me into the world of video games and never let me go was Final Fantasy VII. And so that's that's the one that's near and dearest to my heart. So like Final Fantasy VII Remake, I own that. It's it's on my to-do list at some point. But I also like to return to Final Fantasy VIII. I recently downloaded Final Fantasy IX because it's on Game Pass, that chibi one. Yeah. Um, those Those types of games are what I fall back on. Um, Kingdoms yeah. of Amalur, I absolutely adore when it came out. I'm currently playing through the re-release of that one. Um, that, that that one's been met with some criticism. How do how do your feelings on it compare to uh, what what a few of the the industry pundits out there uh, talking about it uh, uh, say as far as it it not being a good enough remake compared to some of the remakes that we've had in 2020. It's because it wasn't a remaster. Hmm. You know what I mean? They took, they took, so what they did is they took the game and it was old, you know, it was a 360 game. They remastered like the game's systems. So functionality, map, uh, gameplay, combat. They went in and did the fine tuning on the core mechanics of how the game plays. They hmm. didn't do really any upgrading to the graphics. And I think that people were expecting there to be this huge Re, re, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was getting yeah. remake and remaster um, confused, but this this was basically a fine tuning of the older game and releasing it on newer consoles for another audience. It was not gotcha. we're rebuilding this from the ground up, and I think that's what people really wanted and expected, and were disappointed. That would that would track because I, I think there is a stigma behind the expectation of a remaster where you're going in and brushing up the game and making it look nice like a like a HD Legend of Zelda Wind Waker for the Wii U uh or an entire remake like Final Fantasy 7 uh or say like the Resident Evil games of late uh where sure. you do kind of have that expectation so if if people are seeing this but it still looks very akin to what the original release is this is just kind of a uh, porting forward of the game with some tweaks, um, then I can see why why you'd be running into the same hiccups that the original game uh, would have had at the time. Uh, given you know if if the the if the combat or the quests uh, didn't appeal to people, or if they just weren't impactful enough to really set aside or set out from other games that have come out this year. The other thing about Kingdoms of Amalur, it will. <laughs> It uh, it was published by Thirty Eight Studios in combination with Ari Salvatore, who's obviously a notorious storyteller. Like he focuses on dialogue and and building this world, and I think that people get frustrated sometimes because they don't realize what they're getting into. Like you are starting an RPG that is uh, written by a guy who's published like thirty to fifty novels, like a ton of books, you know. Mm Um, and his his thing is world building. So as you're playing through Kingdoms of Amalur, old or new, um, a lot of it is dialogue or repeating dialogue to kind of help flex uh, flesh out the world. Yeah. And if you're just looking to do a bunch of combat, it's it's the combat's good and it's there and it's got a really great uh, crafting system as well. But it's mostly dialogue, mostly story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have to yeah. you have to balance how much that's of value to you. Some people just want to go and hack things up, and that's maybe not the best game for them then. Yeah, that's pretty fair. And um, I absolutely sorry. <laughs> oh no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was, was going to move on, but if you got more to say, oh, I was just going to say I absolutely understand why they did what they did with Kingdoms of Amalur because mm-hmm. um, 
38 studios shuttered. And the IP went, I think, to the state of Rhode Island. And then THQ Nordic bought it. And then they re-released it. So it's gone through this whole changing hands and everything. And I just don't think that expecting them to completely rebuild a game is is fair. Mm, now, when you yeah. look at Fable versus the new Fable, now, if you know, I think that's going to be an incredible game. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be, you know, it's going to yeah. be a great evolution of the series. But in the case of Kingdoms of Avalar, it's it's just replaying the old stuff with just better mechanics. It sounds a little bit like what's happened with Telltale with their with their studio going under, but the but the name and the and the license is being purchased by another company who plans on continuing it on. There's a a sense of unknown, but because they're still holding all of the same kind of marketing uh that it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how well people uh pick up on the fact that there was a change of hands and that the the things that they may have expected with like wolf among us or the walking dead may not be true uh with the wolf among us too or any future properties that they decide to make and uh it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out um I did want to touch on the fact that you mentioned that you love playing RPGs because as we were kind of putting things together, there were four games that you wanted to talk about. And I know one of them is one that I actually played uh, with with your recommendation. So that was Indivisible, which I have to say is a really terrible name for a game because it doesn't tell me anything about <laughs> the game. And, it, and it's a really hard word to uh, to throw up on the old search engine algorithms and get the proper thing without tacking on a game at the end so um kind of as a as a elevator pitch what would you say is is indivisible in a nutshell uh indivisible is a action role-playing game that plays much like Mega Man in the overworld and then when you get into combat it's a turn-based rpg and it's all hand-drawn and it has some really unique battle mechanics that I personally haven't seen before. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I have not seen them before. Interesting. So I played a little bit of this, and, and you're spot on. Um, it definitely feels like a Mega Man as I was kind of hopping around, uh, very similar to like a Shovel Knight, where there's there's gated areas, but those gated areas uh, are are things that unlock as you kind of get spells and abilities. And I'm sure that. You, Pretty quickly into the game, you get you start unlocking ways to get through this. Um, I am not an RPG, a turn-based RPG guy. I love RPGs in some aspects, but it's got to be a pretty light RPG for me to want to dive into it. I think Cyberpunk is one of those few where I I'm okay with the systems that they have in place. Um, they're they're not that impactful, but I still have to go through them for the sake of playing through the game. This is an interesting one because I, when I was playing through this, I didn't notice really any any kind of items um, or skill points that I was really leveling up. Everything felt like it was kind of caked into the characters that you get, and the abilities just vary depending on the button and the direction. So. Um, do you mind kind of going into the combat for the turn-based on this and, and kind of explain a little bit of how that works? Sure. Uh, to use an old adage, it's easy to learn and difficult to master. 
Mm. Um, the way it works is you gain to an eventuality of four different players in your party that you can use combat with, and each player is assigned a A, X, B, or Y, so a button on the controller. Yeah. And then it's it's a it's interesting because it's it's turn based, but it's also got a little bit of a touch of action to it. Because what you do is you'll let's say you want to um, use one character right in a row. You'll hit X, 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 and they'll do a combination of attacks. And if you do like up an X, you'll knock them up in the air. If you do down an X, you'll do a different attack. Or if you just do regular X, it'll do a third attack. So it's interesting like that. But what you get into as you progress further into the game, you start juggling these attacks. So you might use the archer to break somebody's guard and then have the healer run up and buff herself and then have Anjana run in and attack and it's interesting because as you in between your attacks let's say you run out let's say you've got three x's in a character and you use it you wait about five to ten seconds you'll regenerate that back but in that time the enemy can counter attack so it's kind of using the combination of the buttons to create a combo and to keep the enemy off kilter before they attack you because they hurt (laughs) yeah i found i died a lot and the boss battles are absolutely brutal, but it really creates an interesting depth to the combat. And then the, the characters also have ultimates, which really isn't to the point that I'm at in the game, which I'm at least 10 hours in at this point. Uh, it's not really well explained. And I, I found that a little frustrating. The game is the game is beautiful. I love looking at the animation. It reminds me of uh, like dark uh, dark stalkers or or something of that uh, kind of Capcom ilk. Um, you you touched on something that I think is really interesting about the combat uh, that you have uh, characters assigned to different buttons and their buttons uh, or their attacks are um, unique depending on which direction on the control. Uh, or on on which direction of the stick you're you're holding when you actually hit the button, and the thing that I that I thought was interesting about this is the the balance of not just spamming uh, one character's abilities uh, right away, and that you you try to try to weave other people's in so that you give characters an opportunity to regenerate uh, the ability so that it kind of goes. So once you hit X, it consumes a charge. And then that charge will regenerate over time as the as the actual combat plays out. But you still have those two stored charges to use whenever you want. You're not really restricted on uh, how quickly or how slowly you use those abilities. But um, the I guess I, with the combat and the art style kind of knocked out, uh, what is this game about? Well, I won't say that it's the most unique story in the world. Um, I think that where it <laughs> where it gets its character from is the humor and the characters that you pick up along the way. It's got fantastic dialogue, but the story itself, you're playing as Ashna. She's a young girl from a village. Um, she's been through some tragic events. I won't spoil anything because some of it happens very early on in the game, but she gets set on a path to meet a bunch of people and many of them join your party and become playable characters and you can swap them in. Um, and then in the end, you fight against an evil Jafar-like villain who's trying to kill the world. So, you know, you're you're on a world-saving mission. Like I said, it's, the story itself isn't maybe the most unique, but the way that you get there, I find the the journey is very different and valuable in this game. Yeah, so the the trappings are are there as far as your your typical RPG, uh, but the, it's and I agree that that was definitely something that I thought was really entertaining was the 
the characters that you find along the path uh, are are very entertaining, and and you can definitely find one that you kind of resonate with, which is always the good the good telling of a character design is when you can have one or two characters that you really enjoy hearing their dialogue uh, with the with the main character or even the main character itself. Um, you said you're about ten hours into the game. Is is that a is that a pretty good way into it, or or do you feel like you're just scratching the surface with with ten hours? Honestly, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. Um, gameplay estimates range between twenty five hours on the low end and forty on the high end. I tend to take my time and explore every corner and get every you know. Like I said, I play games one hundred percent, so I'll probably be looking at fifty to sixty hours before I'm mm-hmm. done. But I I don't see that being 50 to 60 hours that I regret or think, oh my gosh, am I done yet? Like, I'm just really enjoying all the weird characters, the great voice actors. Um, like I said, the dialogue is is delightful. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And this is something that's on Game Pass right now. Um, do you know offhand uh, when it actually came out? Like, how long has this been going, been out there in the world? So Indivisible released on October 8th, 2019, uh, 2019 um, mm-hmm. and it came to Game Pass on January 23rd. So um, Game Pass likes to keep games for about a year. So there's still some time there before they consider dropping it off of the service. Um, and I, I think that we will probably see that happen sometime in the next three to six months because of the studio shattering and there's nobody to really make an agreement with to keep it on the service. But uh, I would absolutely recommend that people try this game before it leaves Game Pass. Um, like you said, the animation is just gorgeous and it's smooth. It's done really, really well as you play through the levels, as you do the combat, all of its hand-drawn animation. Yeah, yeah, it plays really well. It feels like a Shantae game, honestly, just through the just the the way the characters are designed, the way the animation's uh, done, it's it's up there with uh, most Shantae or even like Cuphead games for me. I just really thought they did a, a, a great job of kind of building the world. And the environments are really beautiful as well, too. Um, so th- if you had to kind of recommend this over some of the other ones, would you say that this is one of the ones that people should definitely jump on if they yes. like RPGs? And yeah. a heartbeat, yes. I would absolutely okay. recommend it. My only beef with the game itself is that um, it can get very difficult into the multi-phase bosses later on in the game, and there's no save mechanic or checkpoint mechanic. So while it's very forgiving when you die and just resets you back to the last save point, and then you can go forward again. Um, when you're doing these bosses, and let's say you spend five, ten minutes trying to juggle your attacks and get, you know make forward, and then let's say you misstep on a block because I feel like the blocks are kind of doughy. Um, you might end up wiping the whole party <laughs> and have to do the whole boss fight again. Um, but in terms of regular gameplay, I feel like it's really smooth. And there's also, I think you probably saw a distinct lack of tutorials. Yeah. But overall, I, I think that people should definitely try the game. Yeah, I think it's, it's it was, truly excellent. It was a good one. And, and 505 is the publisher, so I know they're active and if they if they st- still see or if they still see value in this, then there's a good chance they might uh, keep this on Game Pass for a while. But like you mentioned, I would this hope been, so. Yeah, you you'd hope that you know they they just brought uh, control to to Game Pass, and you know who knows maybe in the future one day if if we ever get the opportunity, Death Stranding might actually show up on Xbox. But 
definitely good to see this one. Um, we had a few other games that we want that you wanted to jump into. Did you have one in particular you wanted to jump onto now? Yeah, I'm actually going to use that to segue. So 505 is an excellent publisher. I feel like they're they're really my favorite publisher. Um, between 505 and Team 17, they're, they're like my two favorites out in the world. Mm-hmm. But um, 505 also did Journey, published Journey to the Savage Planet. Uh, Journey to the Savage Planet is on Game Pass. The studio is Typhoon Studios, um, which was founded by the Far Cry 4 creative director. So you're kind of in that weird spot where it's their first game. It's a small team, um, but they have experience. Is it indie? Is it not indie? I really feel like it is. Yeah. Because it's it's one of those kind of games that people maybe saw and didn't think about or passed aside. And I think it's, it's kind of a hidden gem. It's a weird one. I'll be honest. It looks like an Outer Worlds <laughs> style game. I remember you watching, or I remember watching you play this, and it is just a, it's a weird, funky game. And I really have no way to really explain it to people uh, outside of just the fact that you're just a weird person going around on weird, savage planets. And for whatever reason, you're there. Like, so <laughs> I don't know what the point of this game is. What is the point of this game? <laughs> I <laughs> um, okay, so the thing about Journey to the Savage Planet is you're a astronaut, and I hesitate on saying astronaut because every time your character gets hit, he whines like a dog, and so I'm not sure if it's a dog in an astronaut suit or if it's an actual person. But uh, you're given a <laughs> the whole game is weird, and I love it so much. Um, you're given the mission to explore ARY26. It's the planet that you spend the entire game on, and it's supposed to be unoccupied. But you find out that there's a bunch of flora and fauna, many who are who are aggressive, and uh, your company, Kindred, who's fourth best in the universe. Like every time you Lotus is fourth best down in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they sent you there because they want to know if it's a good place for a colony of humans. Gotcha. Hmm. Uh, it is a, I guess a 3D platformer is the best way to put it. Okay. But and it's exploration based, right? It is exploration based. So there are tons. If you're the kind of person who really likes to collect things, this is the game for you. There's like 37 creatures, 63 fauna, um, 20 teleporters, four ma- major areas. Like there's a lot to to see and do in the game. And they also have an absolutely hilarious DLC. Um, that's like five bucks, I think. But uh, you you go along and you collect things. And as you collect resources from killing enemies and scan enemies and, and kind of proceed through the game, you use that to then upgrade your abilities. So you get a double jump mm. and then a triple jump. You upgrade your gun so you can shoot more or you can ricochet. Um, basically, the more time you spend in the game, the more stuff you can unlock to make it easier for you to transverse all the different areas. Okay, well, this is starting to sound a little bit more like a Metroid Prime game. Um, But everything I've seen of this looks like it's a lot more friendly than Space Pirates uh, with Metroids around. So kind of speaking to the the world in itself, uh, it definitely looks like there are you you mentioned four different areas, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like there's includes the final boss area. Oh, okay. And it, so, the, but each one kind of has like a set biome from what it looks like. There's like yes. an ice one and a tropical one. Um, what do the other zones look like? There's an area that is all um, basically floating 
platforms and you mm-hmm. have to go all the way around these different platforms. There's another area that's got these really cool, like they, they like their floating platforms, by the way, just don't, don't think it's just that area, but <laughs> um, there's another area where you can slide on these like skate type uh, pieces and you hop mm-hmm. on them and then you can like, Oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Surf. No, um, it's where you shoot the thing and you you swing. Tether. Sure. <laughs> grapple. There you go, grapple. Um, so you slide along, you grapple, and you swing around, and there's all these different areas you can get to, but most of them are floating platforms. Uh-huh. Um, but you're right, there's different biomes. There's like a fire biome, and there's an ice biome, and then there's like a jungle biome. And as you go through the different biomes, there's also different types of enemies that do different things. Like there's these adorable little birds called puffer birds, and they just want to be your friend, and they love you. And if you kick them, they make the most hilarious noise. And if you kick them into a meat vortex, it eats them. And it's my husband kept calling me heartless because he said he was always being mean. Feed the beast. It's what, what? you got to do. Especially with cute things. Cute things feed the beasts even better. I, I, the game itself is very silly. It's It's got lots of like jokes and sarcasm. It's got a, a AI that is constantly, constantly ridiculing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but sounds, it Sounds familiar. Right? right? I've, I've never heard of feel safe. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and like with the last game, it's, death is very forgiving. If you do happen to die or fall off a ledge, um, it's got a mechanic to catch you the first time you fall off a ledge. If you fall off a second time, you're just dead. But um, it takes your stuff that you're carrying at that time that you haven't taken back to the habitat and deposited on your rocket, mm-hmm. put it in a box and you just have to make your way back to the box and collect it. So it's not really like you really lose much if you die. Um, it's got a lot to to find without being too much. Interesting. And, so and you, they're very varied bosses too. They're weird bosses. You, you mentioned... Um... An interesting thing that I, I kind of latched onto is is that uh, this is made by Typhoon Studios, uh, former devs from Far Cry Four. Uh, does it feel like this is them kind of getting their footing as a new studio and kind of figuring out what their strengths are and putting together this kind of? Uh, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to trying to ask is 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 this kind of a tech demo for what the studio can do, or do you feel like this was a a creative desire that they definitely wanted to to create as a as a new dev team? Because um, from what we've kind of from what I've seen and from what I've kind of heard, it feels like they wanted to kind of get their chops uh, on and, or, or kind of cut their teeth as a new studio on this game to. Uh, make something unique, a little fun, a little No Man's Sky, but a little Metroid Prime uh, with the boss battles, but give players uh, and themselves a, a test and an experience to have. And that way they would have this kind of under their belt. They would get a little a little more recognition as a studio and uh, be able to work on something that maybe has more story to it. Is that is that fair? I, yeah, I think that this is maybe a passion project for them. Something that when they were kind of departing from where they were at and making this new studio, they said, hey, this is what we want to do. And it's weird. And we totally get that it's weird. But why not? It's our first game. Like, we have the skill to do this. And and then they did. It's got um, co-op, which is a lot of fun. Because you just have a whole nother person there with you. And you're mm-hmm. going through all these adventures and killing these bosses. And you can you can always tell that they they don't take themselves completely seriously because I think you mentioned you saw me playing this. 
I think you were watching me when I was trying to get the achievement where you have to slap every creature in the game. Yes, I do recall you trying to slap <laughs> many creatures. I didn't understand why. I wasn't going to argue, but it was it was an interesting it was an interesting stream. You mentioned this was co-op, but um, I know you'd mentioned as well privately that uh, Indivisible is also co-op, uh, but it, that's only locally. Yes. So, so just a side note, because I, I love my co-op games and I love to force my husband to play co-op games with me. Um, Indivisible is locally co-opable, uh, Mm -hmm. which if you were to join in on somebody that is also playing Indivisible locally, you just take control of a character. You pick what character you want to take control of, and then they control the rest. Um, that sounds trolly. It does sound trolly. (laughs) Hopefully they don't choose the healer and and completely wreck you. Um, (laughs) As for Journey to Savage Planet, it is completely online co-op. It does not have local co-op. Interesting. But this is also on Game Pass, too. So if people wanted to to try this out with someone, they they could jump in and you guys could. Now, is there potential for trolling in in Journey to the Savage Planet as well? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) So we'll not be playing it together is what I'm hearing. No, no. Because, you know, that that thing I was doing where I was trying to slap everything, you can also slap your co-op partner and hurt them and shoot them and knock them off ledges and (laughs) generally kill them if that's your goal. That sounds very familiar to uh, Sea of Thieves and Destiny. I can definitely see why the allure of this game brought you to it. Um, Overall, uh, these are the two that we've talked about so far are fairly unique games. We're talking a, a 2D hand-drawn RPG uh, that's done by a studio that is no longer with us and a 3D uh, collecting adventure game or a 3D yeah. adventure game that's an exploration that, uh, that, that has just the, the weirdest-looking aesthetic uh, for a 3D game that in, in chances are people have probably like seen this game and not realized what the name of this game is. Uh, cause I know this was showing on a lot of, uh, events, uh, to the lead up of it actually being released. Um, but this was also something that was released pretty early on in this year, right? Uh, yeah. So it was released actually in January of this year, late January. Um, and it went on to Game Pass in April. So it didn't have too long on its own before it went on Game Pass. And uh, I I really feel like the sooner uh, an indie can get on Game Pass, the more it's going to give it some of that well-needed press that maybe somebody who wouldn't have played it before would definitely play it now because it's not going to cost them anything. It's no risk other than yeah. the data to download it. Um, but I still think with uh, Game Pass having over 340 games, almost 350 with the next round coming out, it's just not something that um, maybe would stand out to somebody. And that's, that's yeah. kind of why you and I talked about um, doing this, because I, I want to bring games that you maybe wouldn't think of offhand as I should try that and say this is definitely something you should look at. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of Game Pass. Uh, we've, we've been talking about it for a while, but the the... The point of me wanting to have you do this was to give people more value to their Game Pass because I, I know a lot of people, they sign up for su- subscriptions. Um, they want to feel like they have uh, a plethora of content at their fingertips. But when you actually sit there, uh, there's always a, a mini boss before every time you you start a game on Game Pass. And that's, what do I actually pick? 
and what games will be defeated before the one that you finally choose to install is going to be the one that you actually jump into. Um, I'm actually looking forward to the day when you can stream these games uh, straight from your system so that the install barrier is even cut out of the equation. And if you wanted to jump into, say, like Journey of the Savage Planet, all you would have to do is click play and you wouldn't have to worry about installing the game uh, in the first place, because then you have to worry about you know, hard drive space, download times, you know, like how long before you actually get into the game. And with these games, it sounds like these are, are ones where it's better if people just install it one day and then pick a day to jump into it uh, so that it's less of a uh, build up to when they actually do uh, go to play it. It'll it'll already be on the system and that way they won't have to worry about when they, you know, if they want to try it, do they have to install it first? Or do they have the hard drive space or do they have the, how they hit their provider's cap? Yep. A lot of concerns with that. Uh, definitely going in, which I think is interesting with the with these studios, because uh, indie games typically tend to be smaller in size and scope than a lot of the bigger games. So if you're looking to get value out of Game Pass and you're looking for a good experience, this is a great way for people to find something that's smaller, shorter, uh, that is still fun to play that you don't have to actually put any more money down to actually experience you've you've already made the initial investment uh this is just a good way to kind of curate the already curated content that is on game pass um and kind of speaking of curation i i wanted to jump into uh gardens between or the gardens between because this is a, a game that i actually know nothing about um and it looks like it's a point and click adventure. So talk me down from that ledge uh, or maybe explain <laughs> to me why it's OK to jump. Um, it, OK, so it's definitely not a point and click adventure. OK, uh, it is back. a 3D puzzle platformer. Um, oh, and interesting. that's kind of the best description I can come up with, because the Gardens Between has uh, an interesting mechanic where you adjust the flow of time using the stick in order to allow certain environmental places to move or create a path. And then um, hmm. there's about 20 levels. And what you, your goal is, is to pick up like a little shiny glowy ball and take it to the end of the level to unlock the gate so you can proceed to the next level. But in, in the early levels, it makes it real easy. You just walk up to it, fast forward time, you, you, know, you walk over and, and drop it off and then you're done. Um, in the later levels, you might have to Walk uh, fast forward time so that the orb comes down, grab it with your lantern, rewind time so you can get across a gap, fast forward time again to move to a different area. And there's two characters that represent two best friends and each of them has different abilities. So you might need one character to grab the orb and another character to ring a bell to open up a different area of the level. Um, and so the idea is to, it's, it's a circular level. They're all circular. And so you're mm -hmm. making your way around the circular level and trying to to get to the end and as you get further on in the game it gets more complicated i wouldn't say it's too hard but they definitely add more mechanics and give it more depth as you move along gotcha because this the, okay so the two experiences that i can i can kind of connect this to uh it sounds like um captain toad's treasure tracker on the nintendo switch uh which is is very similar in the sense that you are in a world that you rotate the camera that the the camera orients around the entire world and you move independently 
around that to look for coins and stuff. And it seems like this is similar in that sense where the world is is set. You just kind of rotate around it as if you were turning it on a on a dial, uh, not to make a time loop joke or anything like that, but kind of gives you an opportunity <laughs> to uh, see how things move and change as you're adjusting time. But what was that game that you had played uh, a while ago with? Um, and I and I wanted to play this, but watching you kind of sated that desire. Uh, but of the old Viking that was. Um, you kind of learn had had passed on and he was kind of moving his way to uh arise arise thank you where and, that was kind of similar um one of those games that you had asked what percentage of games really stood out to me after i go through them and finish them arise mm-hmm. is one that is consistently coming back to me this year i really really enjoyed that one the environments are insane i just wish it was on game pass so everybody could experience it yeah yeah, and that was definitely one where it was, from the looks of it, it looked beautiful. I love the idea of this, uh, the, of this kind of acceptance of death and moving through memories and kind of coming to rec- uh, realizations or, or um, reconciliations with how things went in life uh, as you kind of follow through this guy's uh, journey um, and, and relive his life with him uh, on his way, way through this this kind of uh, path but um with the gardens between uh you mentioned that this is two friends and i and i've been looking at a video where the the environments look completely bonkers like uh, there's a an island that is a bunch of stone but there's a giant sofa on these island uh pillars and there's a bunch of popcorn flying out like it seems really surreal with the actual environments. Like you, you have a giant telescope where there's a TV with a, with a, a console that you have to, to watch play through to do something or a giant dinosaur puzzle. Like, is there a reason to all this? Is it just their imagination? Like, how did they get into this situation? Okay. So without ruining this story, because it, it does kind of have a, and it's not a really complicated story, but there is some emotion to it. And I don't want to ruin anything at the end for anybody. So what I will tell you is that arena and friend, which are the two characters um, there, you're playing through abstract levels, representing their friendship as they're growing up and then eventually growing apart. So when you (sighs) see like the sofa and the popcorn, (laughs) you know, that's representing maybe some time they spent together watching movies um there's a playground uh environment later on in the game there's one where there's like computers and uh, keyboards and stuff that you're navigating around so all these uh, larger than life objects in relation mm-hmm. to the characters are all something that means something to their friendship and how something they've done together or or some something that means something to them as they move forward so okay so this is um this is made by voxel agents which is uh, uh or no no sorry that's the publisher if i remember right or is that both. the developer oh okay so they both. publish this on their own um mm-hmm. so give me a, a little little history behind this this uh studio if you happen to have any or, or if you've researched any because it, it's it i'm i'm getting the sense that and and you know maybe this is me watching too much apple tv but i'm getting the sense that these two characters are characters that are representative of the developers it feels like because that is a very specific thing to make a game about is a relationship between two people growing up and then them falling apart like I, i'm i'm very interested uh in in 
where these two characters came from, what their history was, like what was the inspiration behind it? And maybe that's a question for the devs. Uh, love to love to get a chance to actually ask them something like that. But um, it, it, have you seen any anything that would maybe suggest that these are based on uh, characters that or, or people that actually worked at the studio, or does it feel very unique and and just that these are just two? characters that came out of the mind of a, of a really well uh, trained writer. So you actually asked a couple of questions there. So I'm going to kind of answer them in order. Sorry. I um, tend Voxel, to do that. That's okay. Voxel agents is actually a super small studio. They have seven total people and uh, this is their first Xbox game. Prior to this, they've done mobile games. They're based out of Melbourne, Australia, and they actually have over 17 million downloads of their games. Um, the studio was founded in 2007. So they're 13 years old. And uh, what's interesting about this is, uh, to answer your question, this seems like another passion project, kind of addressing what journey to the Savage Planet was to Typhoon. This mm -hmm. also seems like a passion project, because what they did prior to this, Voxel Agents, is um, they created Train Conductor. Now, I don't know if you're familiar, there's Train Conductor, Train Conductor 2, and Train Conductor World. Um, again, <laughs> super, super popular <laughs> mobile games. Okay. But... Um, <laughs> This this is completely out of their vein. It's like they said, we really want to make something great. We want to put in this really unique idea. We want to create this weird world. And we, we want to take this passion and put it into this project and then give it to the world. Because this is the first time that they've done anything like this. So mm. um, I, I don't know if it's, you'd have to ask the devs themselves to find out if it's based on it, like anybody specific. Because the story itself um, short of providing an awesome background for the gameplay isn't really well explained. I mean, you can follow along with what's happening, but there mm -hmm. isn't like depth of character there. Gotcha. Now, do I the characters. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel if, if you didn't, I don't remember what the question was. So probably Sweet. wasn't as important. Um, do the characters have a dialogue? Do they, or, or do you just see them kind of, uh, silently moving through the, uh, the worlds as you work out puzzles? So it's super interesting that you would ask that because that's actually something I wanted to kind of address because I, I I have things that I like about the game, which I've actually touched on a lot of it. The surreal world, the music is delightful. Um, but what I didn't like about the game is they have these scenes in between the actual platforming levels and, and what it, you can just kind of turn it and fast forward and rewind time a little bit, kind of the same mechanic as the gameplay itself. And it's meant to give you some more depth of story and i really feel like it doesn't i feel <laughs> i feel like you know you're okay they're sitting on a couch watching tv cool yeah <laughs> you know? like, where, there's no the dialogue yeah and and i think they're they're trying to kind of flesh it out a little bit on these in in between scenes and there's things to see like if you can rewind to a certain point or fast forward to a certain point there are like little hidden things to see within these scenes um, mm -hmm. But overall, I, I just I didn't feel like they contributed to the story. And, and again, I feel like the story itself is lacking. But it is it is kind of a sad story um, in the end as you travel through their friendship and kind of come to what is the end of the game. So I, I notice I, you like those. I don't try to. OK, <laughs> I, I have I am convinced that like 85 percent of indie games have to kill somebody in the game. So that they can make you feel something. <laughs> like Very defensive dead about people this. All over. <laughs> dead people. I'm getting a, getting a lot of defensive vibes here. Okay. Um, 
So I'm I'm genuinely curious because I feel like that's the thing with indies that a lot of folks uh, have, and and maybe I'm totally off base here. Maybe I'm just speaking purely and anecdotally, and I don't really have a good gauge on how people view indies. But I I, I get the sense that a lot of the reason why indies um, aren't compelling is the trouble with story. Uh, and having those characters that draw you in. I think the thing that a lot of people really enjoyed about, um, I'll take uh, Hades, for example. I think the reason a lot of people liked Hades uh, was because the gameplay was solid, but the thing that stuck out more uh, from it compared to other roguelikes was the the characters, the dialogue, and the in the discussion between all of these uh, all of these different gods and demigods, and and I think that was what really drew people to it. Was there was always something new being said. It wasn't the same story or the same lines fed to you after every death each time you went back to uh, to your home in Hades. It was always kind of like you're you're back. And your father has some other quip to say to you as to, to why you why you failed or uh, Meg was shrugging you off for the 13th reason, uh, even though you bring her as much contraband as you possibly can and doesn't seem to make any difference to her why she doesn't love you. But Aphrodite continues to remind me that she's married. Um, <laughs> but I feel like the, the story there is what really drew me into love Hades uh, and in subsequent characters as such. So is, is um, voxel agents uh, game going to be something that will be compelling enough? Like is, are the puzzles good enough to draw me in to keep me away from the mindset that the, that the characters aren't nearly as fleshed out as, uh, uh, as, as, I would hope for in in a game. I would say yes. And the reason they say that is because it's only a two to two and a half hour game. So mm. by the time that you play through all the levels and you kind of see what there is to see and kind of piece the pieces together as far as what's happening, um, there's there's not a lot of going, oh man, I wish I would have fleshed that story out. You know what I mean? You get the core of the story and what's happening. But like I said before, it really just provides a good backdrop. Um, but mm-hmm. you bring up a really interesting point that I'd, I'd like to to briefly discuss. I find in in my many adventures with indie games that while indie games all have something that makes them special, I find that either they gravitate towards a stronger story or a stronger gameplay, but it's very rare to find an indie that has really strong story and gameplay. Mm, yeah. So, That's- like of the suggestions today indivisible has um i think strong story and gameplay despite the difficulty um journey to the savage planet has much stronger gameplay than story although it is funny gardens between Mm -hmm. has stronger gameplay than story when you're looking for something that's more focused on story than gameplay you're going to be looking more for like night in the woods or oxen free um something that the bulk of your game is going to be in the narrative yeah, and and it's not, and in they're more walking simulators. You know what I mean? There's not like yeah. cool gameplay mechanics involved. Interesting. Yeah, I, I tend to find myself gravitating more towards those uh, than I do the the mechanic based games because I feel like I can get mechanic based games with uh, bigger IPs, um, but the stories are what interests me, and I think that's a very personal 
very personal objective uh, based opinion on, in that instance. Um, so I, I guess I would have to ask then the last game that you wanted to jump into uh, for this was ukulele and the impossible layer, which we talked a little bit off off air about this uh, in, in regards to ukulele, because I've, I remember picking up ukulele for the switch and being very interested because it is the devs of uh, the the rare studio that wanted to build a game that was akin to um, Banjo Kazooie, and it, it fell flat for me. It felt like a an okay attempt at a 3D platformer. Uh, I felt like there were very much, or I felt like there were better versions out there in the indie world that were tackling the same uh, idea but had a much better design around it and um, much more realized um, narrative. So with Ukulele and the Impossible Layer, I was very trepidatious about giving this team another chance. Uh, Playtonics, I'm sure great folks, but after being burned on Ukulele, I saw that this was a different type of game and this was one that it has my interest peaked, uh, but I still haven't committed to jumping into it. So similar to the gardens between talk me back from the ledge as far as why i shouldn't i shouldn't give up on this game why i should give it a chance i feel like this is going to become our thing i talk you back from the ledge (laughs) (laughs) why i should try this instead of not Um, Um, okay so here's the thing about ukulele and the impossible lair and and again we did talk about this a little bit earlier it's uh it's so that's not a good way to that is not a good way to start here's the thing (laughs) about ukulele and the possible i know i know what you're gonna say but hear me out that is not a good way to start to start off how you feel about in indeed why i should jump into this but i will will, hear me out hear me out okay um (laughs) i i ukulele and the impossible lair is a sequel story-wise um to ukulele but only in story. The mechanics and gameplay are completely different. So Ukulele was a 3D platformer and it had flaws and it was generally not well received. Um, but Ukulele in a possible layer is a 2D side-scrolling platformer. Um, it's beautifully done. It's, it's bright. The characters are fluid. The controls are solid. And it, it is very much reminiscent of like Yoshi's Island or um, Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, and and because it is so drastically different, I want people who tried ukulele and didn't like it, or thought about it, or heard bad things, to to kind of put that aside and give this game a chance because it's one, fantastic for family friendly, mm-hmm. but two, it's a really really solid platformer. Like this is in that ten percent I mentioned earlier of games that I go back mm-hmm. to and I remember. Um, have gotcha. you had a chance to play it at all, or? No, like I said, I, I I felt burnt by ukulele when I dropped the 60 bucks on that uh, back when it came out. I was really looking forward to getting into another Banjo-Kazooie considering uh, Rare had been busy making Sea of Thieves and then eventually Everwild. Um, this, it, it felt like, was going to be that Banjo-Kazooie that conquers Bad Fur Day that I, I remember growing up with and was ready to, to love. And after playing probably about 10 hours i put it down because i just got to the point where it didn't it didn't resonate with me it wasn't intuitive enough um i had a really hard time feeling like i knew what i was supposed to be doing 
Um, but I remember seeing this uh, impossible layer and how a lot of people had said, hey, this is not the ukulele that you are familiar with. This is much different. It's supposed to be a 2D platformer built in 3D. And it it's one of those ones where because it's on Game Pass, I think it's going to be a lot easier for me to want to to, to download it, to jump into it. Um, I guess my my trepidation comes into uh is it it doesn't feel like there are a whole lot of 2d platformers on xbox that compare to ori in the blind forest or ori in the will of the wisps or cuphead so as far as difficulty goes how does it compare between like an ori and cuphead i would say it's not quite as difficult until you get to the final level now the reason it's called ukulele and the impossible lair is because the final level is called the impossible lair. And <laughs> what I find interesting about Genius. the game. Yes. <laughs> is when you start the game, like it literally puts you in next to the impossible lair and has you try the impossible lair when you start the game. Um, most people don't get far at all. The level itself is about 40 minutes long and it's incredibly precise and punishing. Um, so the idea is that as you play through ukulele in the impossible layer and you do all these different levels that they have, when you get to the end, you're going to have rescued all these different bees from all over the game. And the mm -hmm. bees will provide you one hit every time that um, you're in the impossible layer. So you end up with, I think, 48 bees here. I'll go look right now. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic it's it reminds me of speedrunners for legend of zelda breath of the wild you can go straight to ganondorf or uh, calamity ganon and you can actually fight him without playing any of the game off of the great plateau uh but that is a very difficult prospect and the entire game is designed to give you that option but also uh feed you into the other areas where you're obviously going to find uh do more shrines and get more pieces for hearts and stamina get more items and gear and become more acquainted with the actual uh gameplay mechanics so that you're literally preparing yourself for this impossible lair um and it sounds like 48 is a pretty pretty uh good buffer as far as like number of hits and you mentioned this was a 40 yes. minute level um so did you get a chance to see how many uh bees you can collect for hit points there are a total of 48 i actually okay. checked my stats i put 25 hours in the game to 100 it up until the impossible lair i have yet to beat the impossible lair oh, wow. um on your very first attempt when you don't have any bees it actually keeps track of how many tries um how far you've gotten so my very first attempt the one it makes you do when you start the game i got seven percent complete with the impossible lair and then once you collect all the bees, you can come back and do something called the not-so-impossible lair. The not-so-impossible lair was patched in later after complaints of people saying, look, we made it through the game. The game itself had some precision jumps or whatever, but it was more or less uh, manageable. And then you give us the final level and we nobody can get through it. So the not-so-impossible lair has three checkpoints in it. So as you proceed through the not so impossible layer, however many bees you had at that point, you can then restart from that point with that many bees instead of having to go all the way from the beginning again. Interesting. So it feels a little better, a little less uh, painful in that aspect. Well, 
Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> uh, like <laughs> me personally, I've done 16 attempts on the not so impossible layer and I'm only 57% complete. So it oh. still definitely has um, some, some savagery there. And mm-hmm. I, I think if I were to level, level like one major gripe against this game, that's it. Because you, you play through these levels, and I, I'm going to go back to this in a second, but you play through all these levels, you get all the collectibles, you unlock everything, you finish the whole game, it's beautiful, amazing, they have really cool mechanics, and then you get to the end, and it's so hard. Like, there just has to be maybe a little bit better scale if they were to look at doing a sequel. I actually talked to the developers in a stream last week, and I asked them if they were going to be doing a... Uh, sequel and they said we can't say anything so i don't know if we'll be seeing something in the future from them interesting okay but um it's it's really intriguing so if you'll allow me to kind of jump back to the level thing yeah within each level there are five coins to find so very much akin to um donkey kong country i did get the level uh the letters um okay you, you have to find these five coins. Sometimes they're really hidden. Sometimes they're just right out in the open and you have to make an extra jump to get to them. And then there's um, you get a B for finishing the level. So you have um, 20 levels total. But here's what I think is one of the coolest features of Ukulele and the Impossible Lair. You can do things to affect the... Because there's an overworld. You travel in the overworld. You, you do platforming. You find secrets, that kind of thing. And then there's things you can do in the overworld to affect the level. And then you go back in and it's a completely different level. Even though you're going through the same different, the same areas, it's completely different. So like the second one is called Mm -hmm. factory fright. You play through the whole thing. You're in a factory, whatever. But in the overworld, there's a lever you can switch. And all of a sudden water will go over the book that you select the level at. And now it's factory flight, fright flooded. Well, that's a lot of F's. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, so the whole level is now flooded and it's a water level where it was a completely different level before. And they utilize the same space and just give you a completely different experience. Sometimes it might be sap. Sometimes it might be water, frozen fire, you know what I mean? But they give you a variation of every single level and it's so cool. It's such a cool feature to be able to play the same level twice, but have a completely different experience. Now, can you, so you mentioned like being able to alter the levels. Is there a way to go back to the original level or do you have to? Okay. So all you have to do is like whatever you triggered to get it to the alternate level, you just have to untrigger it. So like I'm standing right next to uh, like a floodgate. I hit the floodgate. Now it's the regular level. Hit the floodgate again. Now the water moves forward. Now it's the flooded level. So, you know, there's just different things that you have to do. Um, you might have a one that's got like escalators everywhere and then you hit a button and now everything's going backwards. So it's that much harder because you're fighting instead of it working for you, you're fighting against the level. Well, that's kind of nice. So, I mean, at least gives you an opportunity to play around with the world. If maybe you want to check out some of the harder stuff to deal with and then still, but have the freedom to go back if you, if you need to, um, so, it, it, like we we mentioned with uh, Indivisible with Journey to Savage Planet, um, I can't remember if we talked about it with the the Gardens Between, uh, but talk to me about as far as like player numbers with Gardens uh, Between and uk- Ukulele and the Impossible Layer. Are those co-opable or multiplayer? No. In okay, no. so the, they're oh, strictly single, single player. player. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
And you mentioned that they're they're uh, roughly twenty some hours to to kind of work through a majority of it, unless you're kind of one hundred percenting it. Yeah, and I I think if you were just doing the levels and maybe not looking for all the alternates or not trying to get the bees, you could probably finish ukulele in ten, maybe even fifteen. Um, okay. It you know it's it's there's a lot to the overworld, and I think that's actually one of my favorite things is that um, adventuring in the overworld will allow you to find something called tonics. And I believe that there were tonics in the original ukulele, um, but what they do in this game is really, really cool because um, depending on the combination of the tonics that you're using, it creates multipliers. So there's a collector item that you get as you go through the game, kind of like uh, coins in Mario, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that allow you to buy tonics. And then the tonics can do things like, because um, the mechanic is if you get hit, Laylee, the, the purple bat on his head, will fly. And if you hit Laylee, you get it back and you get that hit back. So as you move through the levels, if, as long as you regain her back, um, mm. sort of like uh, the baby Yoshi in, yeah. in the Yoshi game, um, then you can be hit again and not die. So um, like one of the modifiers, Laylee panics less and sticks around longer when she's been lost. So you can just, you oh. know grab her back um but for example that'll give you negative 0.1 on your quill count so if you got 100 quills out of the level now you have 90 you know yeah Um, and so depending on what modifiers you're stacking one of my favorite ones is um, a checkpoint one so if you collect one of the collectibles like a coin um and then checkpoint or not checkpoint sorry if you collect a coin and then die, you get to keep the coin. You don't have to do all that platform again to get it, but it nice. penalizes you quite a bit for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you might end up with like a, a negative point five. So you're only actually taking home half the quills you're collecting in the level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need those to buy more, but they, they have all sorts of like, they have FX, they have like, um, you can turn ukulele rainbow. you can make them glow in the dark like you can have a disco theme on the level you can make it sepia (laughs) you can reverse everything i mean there's there's like 65 tonics that that do all sorts of crazy stuff in the game and to the game as you play and and i really enjoyed the tonics um and that was something that was was a real big push for me to get as well as i was trying to complete the game you know we used to just call those cheat codes back in the day (laughs) But now it's built into the game. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have to, you know, you had to you had to do a certain mission to unlock a certain cheat code if you wanted paintball guns or, or big heads and stuff. But okay. So <laughs> I'm I'm gonna ask you the hard question here. Um we've covered four of the games that you wanted to talk about. Uh if you had to rank these from best to worst for people to jump into to start with, these are Granted, um, I mean, we're talking a uh, 3D puzzle game, a uh, 3D, 2D platformer, a uh, 2D um, Mega Man slash RPG game, as well as a, a full-on 3D exploration adventure game. Um, all very different. But if you had to, had to send one, or if you had to send people to one first, um, which is the one that you think people would overall kind of get the best experience from? Ukulele. Ukulele. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that it appeals to the broadest audience. It's such a good game. Like I said, the, the controls are solid. The music's great. It's fun to play. 
Um, and, and it has those really cool tonics to allow you to, to make the game easier or harder, you know? Um, I, gotcha. I really think that that would be my number one pick. Um, after that, uh, I personally loved Journey to the Savage Planet. I think it's probably my indie game of the year. If I had to pick one game, I just absolutely loved this year. Um, but I really? understand that it may not appeal to everybody. So, but for me personally, I would say it would go ukulele, Journey, Indivisible, and Gardens Between. And it's not that there's anything wrong with Gardens Between. I just have more, I think there's more opportunity for gameplay in those other games before you get to Gardens Between because it's only two, two and a half hours long. You know, it's a short game. Yeah. And that, that's the thing is I, I want to be really clear to people who, who actually listen to this is that these are four games out of hundreds that you decided to, to tackle for one and then actually bring up after you've already played them. It's it's more than just the fact that these are, are just good indie games. It's the fact that you would actually want to actually pull these out of, of the plethora of ones that you have played and say, hey, these are important. Uh, you really shouldn't miss jumping onto these because chances are most people have probably played through some of the more popular indies. And the whole point of this was to say, hey, you know, there's, you know, it doesn't take a it doesn't take an IGN or a kind of funny games or or a game spot or game informer to sit there and be like beat you over the head with the name of this Outer Wilds game to get you to play it. Like there's plenty of other games that are on Game Pass right now. You can install them for free just with the in inclusion of the cost of that you're already paying for the other games that you probably have downloaded and get to have these really good experiences and not feel like you are investing anything more than a, a few hours to see if you like it and a few gigabytes worth of download. And I think that's what's really beautiful about this. It's the, the whole drive behind this. Um, so if people get through this and we haven't had an opportunity to uh, record another episode, um, there were three games that you were looking into or three three games that are coming soon. Um, some Some mentions that you wanted to bring up? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next to play on my list, and I don't know if it's something that'll end up in our, our next episode or not, but the next games that I'm looking at kind of routing into my world are Call of the Sea, which um, you may have heard about it because it just came out on Game Pass. It just came out in general, and they've really been pushing it. But it's I've actually been playing it. Have you? Yes. I really I, love it. I, I uh, had some issues the day I tried to play it and it didn't work out for me, but I have watched some streams on it and I helped some guy um, solve some puzzles and, and I really like uh, the game and the puzzles. I feel like the puzzles are, are really difficult, but rewarding. Yeah. Like instead of giving you lots of small puzzles to do, you've got like one or two big puzzles in each section to work on. And then you move on to the next part of the story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. It feels like Sea of Thieves meets Firewatch. And it's the acting. Sissy Jones does the uh, the voice of the main uh, protagonist. And she, uh, I could listen to her, you know, speak all day. She's got just a beautiful voice. Uh, and the, the, the world is beautiful. It feels amazing. Um, the puzzles are really fun. And I would love to get an opportunity where we could dive into that. But uh, what were some of the other things that you wanted to jump into? I'm also looking at Sea of Solitude, and that's actually one I've kind of been putting yes. off because it addresses um, mental health issues like fear, anxiety, depression. And with everything going on in COVID, I wasn't sure if that was like something I wanted to route to the top of my queue right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it's about a girl. Her name is Kay. She's fighting with her personal issues, except those personal issues are literally now monsters out in the world. And they're, they're mean. They, <laughs> they talk smack. They say bad things to you. She's like, no, I'm better than that. Um, and and it, it's, it's about her journey to, to deal with those issues. But it's, it's also a, a platformer. So it's yeah. really interesting um, how you kind of get through the game. Yeah, I, I've definitely been interested in that one as well, too. Uh, much in, in line with Last of Us series, which I, I have the first one. I haven't picked up the second one. Uh, this year is just not the year for me to really want to subject myself to that kind of emotional um, undertaking. And I think when I feel a little bit better about what's going on in the world and I'm a little more sound mentally, where I just feel more comfortable doing stuff that uh can actually i can actually challenge myself to jump into these type of games same thing with uh, hellblade um I, I think i'll be looking forward to to trying out sea of solitude as well so uh but what else did you have um okay so so my last one on my next to playlist is uh well, i mean i have more but the ones that i really want to cover <laughs> are uh monster sanctuary and i don't know if you've heard much or know much about monster sanctuary I know about it from CJ from Player One Podcast. Um, he he's been playing it and he's been talking about how he's been enjoying his Metroidvania Pokemon game. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> There's a hundred different creatures. They help you platform through the maps in the in the Metroidvania aspect of it. But then you also get into battles that are very Pokemon-esque. You collect eggs, you hatch them, they've got all the animals have skill trees um you can equip gear on them uh it's it's really interesting to see a really solid game of this type they've been actually working on this for five years before they brought it out man oh um i'm i'm really excited it's uh, the publisher's team 17 i've already mentioned how much i love team 17 who also by the way published <laughs> ukulele um they've got some really delightful games like uh yoku and uh the island express i don't know if you guys saw that when it was on game pass fantastic pinball platformer um there's also planet alpha they have an upcoming game called greek which i'm really hoping we see on xbox because it is beautiful i told you i'm a sucker for hand-drawn animation that's fair i'm I'm looking forward to when you get a chance to dive into spirit fair then that is actually the fourth one on the list <laughs> so <laughs> there you go i really i really want to give spirit fair some time but i would like to sit down and play spirit fair. I don't want to play like 30 minutes here, 60 minutes there. Like I want to dunk like four or five hours into it and really kind of immerse into that story. I don't feel like it gives it justice to play a little bit here, or a little bit there. Mm. I would actually say that, uh, it is a great game to kind of dip into and dip out of, uh, because of the nature of the game. Um, you tend to travel around to different areas and meet different people along the way, but a lot of it tends to run into, resource gathering and uh kind of taking taking care of your your uh guests on your ship and because of that um some of that can kind of feel a little tedious at times so being able to step away and be like okay i don't need to farm anymore i'm done cooking i don't want to fish i just want to i want to take a quick break it pauses it and you can step away and then when you come back you're like all right i'm ready to jump back into this and take on the next island or take on the next uh, shipwreck or the next set of obstacles that I run into. So uh, very interesting gameplay, but 
one that it, I could totally see people binging through. Um, but I, I've actually enjoyed my time with it. Actually, kind of uh, doing doing little little bites here and there as I as I jump in. And the gameplay is uh, simplistic enough to where I don't feel lost as to what my abilities are uh, because there's just prompts on everything. So I don't feel like I have to remember what the controls are for that game. That's really so, great to know, actually, because yeah, that way I can try and do a little here and a little. Yeah, just a, my personal thoughts on it. I'm sure plenty of people find ways to to jump into it on their own ways, um, but I think that is going to wrap it up. Unless there's anything else you wanted to to mention or anything that that we might have missed. I did. Um, so Game Pass did announce some more games that are coming out on the 17th. So that is going to be just a couple days from now. And um, of those two games, I really kind of picked two of them out and I just wanted to kind of mention them, take a look at them, see if they're interesting to you. Um, the first one's called Monster Train. It's by Shiny Shoe, which is a 14 person studio in Northern California. And uh, they actually just recently did the remakes of Full Throttle and Day of the Tentacle, which are also on Game Pass. And uh, what? Oh, I was just going to say those are great games. Yes. I'm glad that they, um, that they worked on that. They did. They did. And they, they did. They have really good, like the way it looks because it's not necessarily animation, but just it's, it's really like polished, I guess the graphics are. Um, and, and it's a roguelike deck building game. So maybe not something I normally would um, play, but it's really intriguing to me that it has nearly 10,000 reviews on steam and it's a 10 out of 10. Wow. So, yeah, um, I looked at the gameplay video. Basically, you're a surprise on a train <laughs> and there's uh, multiple levels and you're being attacked and you use your card draws to to fight off kind of sort of like Hearthstone um, in the same card aspect. It's got, you know, it's actually the cards look very similar to Hearthstone's cards. It sounds a lot like um, Slay the Spire and uh the oh gosh i'm blanking on the name of it but it was the it's yacht club who made um shovel knight their king's quest game i think is what it was uh but they they shifted one of their their last titles that they most recently did to be a deck building uh action game as well too where a lot of what you a lot of your attacks are based on the cards in your deck and whatever you draw is uh is is totally based on you know what you've used in the past and what you can use now knowing what you have left in your deck and you have to try and overcome encounters based on your choices that you make throughout the game to strengthen or enhance cards in your deck uh which sounds kind of like what this is is akin to yeah it does seem very much like this now it, it just as an overview when i was looking at it videos it does look very much like a mobile game i don't know if it's a mobile game but I, when i say something looks like a mobile game i mean it's got that overworld you move to a level you select the level you play the level come back out move to a level select the level play a level you know what i'm trying to say yeah but i, I mean i wouldn't really call that uh like that that is a that is a, a staple of games dating all the way back to the 80s uh looking at like mario brothers 3 with the overworlds and the different levels and having to traverse the overworld or, or even you know legend of zelda things like that so to say that it's a mobile game i don't want anyone to get turned off by the no, idea no. of this not being a full-fledged game um this very much looks like a a full-fledged game just in the the the, the way that i would say like 
most people who ever played like a Candy Crush are familiar with the fact that there's a new right. level and there's an overworld and then you dive into that level, you complete the the challenges in that level and then it pops you back out and you move along that path. Uh, Hades has the same thing actually. Each level is, oh. is uh, you kind of move to and from the level, but every zone is an overworld. And once you complete the boss in that zone, you move on to the next zone and it shows you going along the path of the actual overworld. Cool. I didn't mean mobile game in like a derogatory manner. You just see that a lot in mobile games these days because that's how they keep them as a bite-sized experience for people like sitting in a waiting room or picking someone up and sitting in their car for a few minutes. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm going to go play this level and then you know, it's it's not so much a, a fluid experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as well, because like, like we mentioned, a lot of these games are great when you can pick them up and put them down. And if anyone's playing, uh, on a series X right now or a series S, uh, these are the type of games that I think would be perfect for quick resume and being able to pick them up, play a little bit when you have a little bit of time put them back down, switch over to a multiplayer game or, you know, when people are on and then when they log off or you're, you're trying to wind down for the night, uh, using something like a quick resume to be able to, to pop back in real quick and enjoy it, uh, for, for a shorter pound, short amount of time and not feel like you have to really commit too much to getting into the, the experience. I'm definitely jealous of your ability to quick resume. (laughs) It's I would great. love to have like four games going at once. It's great. I can't remember what I was playing last night. What the heck was I playing? I jumped into something. I can't remember what it was, but man, I I saw I, I thought I was gonna have to boot it from scratch. And when it popped back into uh quick resume, I was just like, oh yeah. Ah oh, yeah, that's a thing, huh? I think it was Jedi Fallen Order. I think I was I was popping in Jedi Fallen Order to to play a little bit of that after getting done doing some some stuff on Destiny, and I was just I just got right back in and I I had fun. I was just like, man, th- like this is how games need to be. Games need to be as accessible on consoles as they are with mobile, because that's what I think is what's really nice about mobile is is you open up a mobile game. And boom, you're like right there. You know, the app is always running in the background. It always has a solid, solid state pause system. And you don't get that with consoles until now. And I think, you know, when I when I pull up my switch and I open my switch, I can dive back into where I was in Animal Crossing. But if I want to play a different game, I have to close Animal Crossing. And if anyone's ever tried to get into Animal Crossing, (laughs) good luck. Because, boy, I tell you what, man, you're going to get a lecture whether you want it or not. And that's that's a that's a that is not always the like I'm tired of Isabel telling me about her damn TV shows every single time. I'm done. She found a sock. Yeah, she found I don't a sock care. She's very excited about it. I don't care. Let me go. Let me go dig up a fossil and make a freaking snowboy. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> oh, so. All right. Did I did I miss anything, or was there was there anything you wanted to jump into? Last one. I'm going to bend your ear on, and this is not going to um, maybe be intriguing to everyone. And you and I had actually briefly talked about it, and you were kind of creeped out. So the, there's another game coming on the 17th called Beholder, 
Um, and it's actually from a Siberian studio called Worm Lamp Games. They're like 11 people. I love these ones that are like 11 and 14 people because you know that they've poured all their heart and soul into making these games for us. Mm-hmm. But um, Beholder is all about choices. So what's, what's really um, different about this is you're living in a totalitarian government and you are the landlord of like an apartment complex and you have to answer to the state. So via listening devices, video cameras, sneaking into people's apartments, it's your job to find out what's going on in their lives, if they're plotting or doing anything that they shouldn't, and then you get to decide whether or not you want to turn them in. Cool. That's not topical at all. Uh, (laughs) All righty. Well, I hope everyone (laughs) has two-factor authentication and uh, post-its over your cameras because... They're making games on how to train kids on how to spy on you. Um, no, this this sounds this sounds really intriguing. Uh, I know there's a few games out there that really play with this idea of of Big Brother, and um, th- it looks really interesting. This is another one of those ones where it's a very stylized game. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a cutaway um, Fallout Shelter style uh, design where you you have rooms and and it's uh, you're kind of looking into the rooms from the outside but there's uh, the fourth wall is is uh literally cut off the side of the buildings and you are yeah you're essentially just a bunch of black creatures living out your lives in this very downtrodden world it it does it definitely you say uh, totalitarian and i would add uh uh, uh dystopian yes to that. absolutely absolutely um, and it, it it's it's beautiful as far as art design uh but man it's such a it's such an interesting concept it feels like a, a real interesting take on something like fallout shelter which i'm not sure if you're if you're uh if you've gotten a chance to play that at all but um, i'm actually not familiar so that's an interesting one where you have a bunch of rooms and it's a it's a sim um you're just keeping people alive and uh making sure that that different systems in this vault are working and the way you do it is by having different care or different people who visit the vault or or born into the vault uh with different strengths and weaknesses and you have to assign them different jobs and stuff this looks very much like you have a, a schedule and you have to check up on people and take notes and you have only have limited access to what you can see to them as this landlord and you have to try and use everything in your toolkit to be able to appraise uh the 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 questionable going ons of the tenants uh before being able to actually you know make a decision on whether or not you should turn them in um Mm -hmm. is that fair to to say yeah i think that's great and then you can decide do you want to be a cog in this italian total oh my gosh totalitarian <laughs> machine or or do you you know try to do something different mm. so it's it's you know you're not required like you make that decision you can report oh. suspicious activities of a father but then orphan his children or you can withhold the details about his le- legal activities and give him a chance to make it right you can blackmail him <laughs> you can you know there's there's a lot of options of what you can do there obviously not a kids game but um it's it's a really different take i think on something like that and yes i looked up fallout shelter and they do literally look very similar Mm, yeah that was that was my first impression when i when i saw this um so 
And and these are coming out on the 17th, correct? Yes, they're both coming out on the 17th. They're part of a batch of like, I want to say somewhere between six and eight games that are coming out on the 17th, but the bulk of them are coming out on um, Android or PC. Okay. Stuff that's already been out on Xbox Game Pass. Like um, Man of Medan is coming to PC on the 17th. If you can co-op that with a friend and you can handle some uh, suspense, I highly recommend that one. Um, mm-hmm. With that, but even if I tried to talk about it, I would probably ruin something. So all I gotcha. can say is play it, but definitely not a kid game. That's uh, that's kind of a uh, I'm trying to think of the way to, that one's. It's a 3D game, but it's it's essentially you're kind of living as these as different characters as you go through experiences, right? That's the one where. Kind of yes. have to pick and choose. Yeah. Okay. And I think I remember and it's seeing all this. story based. Like you're not really fighting or, or doing anything. Yeah. It, it's like the first, without saying too much, the first one um, is a tutorial to kind of teach you how the game works. And yeah. it, I highly recommend playing it only in co op because what it does is it plays off of what you're seeing versus what your friend is seeing. And in the end, you're seeing two completely different things. And you might make a decision that you regret based off of what mm. you're seeing. Um, but it definitely is suspenseful. There's not a whole lot of like jump scares. It just really kind of like keeps you on the edge of your seat. Um, I, I'm like three episodes into it. It's really, really interesting. I like it a lot. But there's it's it's a lot of it's narrative based. You know what I mean? Building that suspense and like kind of freaking you out. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Um, well, I think that is going to do it. I think that's gonna wrap it up for what we what we were looking for. Um, if people want to get a hold of you uh what are some of the best ways to get in touch with you um so definitely you can find me on twitter uh uh, that's at kylea k-y-l-e-i-a i also have a email business email you can reach me at destination indie at gmail.com and uh yeah i've got a twitch channel too i play indies every wednesday and thursday and that's going to be twitch.tv slash kylea awesome Sounds good. Uh, so yeah, that's that's going to do it for this, guys. If uh, if you guys enjoyed this, definitely feel free to let us know um, if you've played these games and and you have some thoughts on them. Uh, would love to get some feedback as as well. Uh, I'm going to be um, setting up a channel specifically in the Keel Hall Discord for Destination Indie. Um, I know you have a, a Discord as well too. Would you like me to to put some links in there if people want to jump into your Discord? and talk with you directly there uh for now let's keep it on twitter okay i've got a pretty quiet little discord but um definitely if anybody wants to come chat with me on my discord or would like to hang out just hit me up and i can get you a link okay otherwise i will i will definitely have a channel uh in my discord for this uh if people want to jump in since this will be coming out on the the podcast feed as well too and uh yeah i think that's gonna do it Thank you so much for the the initial uh, Destination Indie episode as we dive into this headfirst and see where the heck it takes us. Um, I'm sure I will probably have to figure out some music or something interesting uh, outside of what I would normally do to be able to, to have us get a chance to make this a little more normal and uniform. And I think that's going to do it. I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity to kind of talk about what I'm passionate about and be able to share indies with other people because they're they're these great hidden experiences that nobody knows about. And I just want to tell everybody. You know what? I stopped recording. That's okay.
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it, folks. I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we're going to have more of these. And if you guys like indies or you're not sure about indies or maybe you just want to check out some games and you don't know what it is, this is going to be a great destination for your indie games uh, if you want to get that value at a Game Pass. Again, this is one of those things I can't stress enough. Um, I want value out of Game Pass. You want value out of Game Pass. We're paying for it. We should get our money's worth. And I think Kylia is one of the best people I know to be able to help inform your decisions going forward as we look for uh, games outside of the normal uh, big titles that you would normally expect. Something that, that maybe you want to jump into that you didn't know too much about. And I think that's going to do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we will talk to you in the future. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.